0: Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth podcast number 875 with Sam Palazzano, the founder of Tip of the Spear Ventures, as we talk about business transformation and consulting. This podcast number 875 is brought to you by Sarah Payton, author of a new book entitled Your Resonant Self Workbook from Self-Sabotage to Self-Care. In my interview with Sarah, we explore the neuroscience of self-care and how we are wired to tell ourselves self-sabotaging stories that don't allow us to become what we are capable of becoming. If you want to learn more about Sarah and her new workbook, please visit her website at sarahpayton.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Sam Palazzano as we talk about his business transformation and coaching. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth, and joining me from North Hollywood. Is that right? West Hollywood, West yeah. Hollywood, I said North Hollywood, but West Hollywood, California, for all of these, you're looking at this podcast, either on our a YouTube channel, or you're hearing it. Uh, you obviously know where West Hollywood is, you, you know, where Hollywood it's in California uh, is Sam Palazzino. And uh, Sam has a company called Tip of the Spear Ventures. Um, he reached out to us and I was very impressed with what he's doing. Uh, one of the things to let my listeners know, you can go up there and download your free 128-question business transformation self-assessment, uh, which we will uh, direct them to in the blog as well. Uh, but I'm going to let the listeners know a tad bit about you, Sam. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, an author, uh, a leader, professor, nonprofit philanthropist, and he brings a, v- a variety of value creation topics to entrepreneurs and business leaders. His ideas are actionable, there's takeaways captured in the five books that he has written, and most re- recently, the influential leader leading at the tip of the spear. Um, he has a new book coming out uh, at the beginning of next year, and we're going to kind of be dancing around with questions based on uh, all of his books. Uh, but Sam has ideas uh, basically from the influential leader. Uh, he's worked with the biggest of the biz- biggest. Uh, he led a technology SaaS startup raising $8 million. Uh, which uh, was cutting-edge technology. Uh, Sam's built a reputation as a successful investor, having provided startup capital for several early-stage uh, ventures, as well as M&A activity. Uh, he's also been invited to speak at some of the largest places around, including Amazon, Starbucks, General Mills, Microsoft, Department of Defense, Harvard Business School, Dartmouth University, uh, Vanderbilt, and so on. He's graduated Indiana University with a bachelor's degree in business and economics and public policy and received his MBA from Vanderbilt. Uh, and he's an accomplished uh, additional graduate studies from the University of Texas, University of Michigan, on sales negotiation, Northwestern University on digital strategy, and the University of London on business funding. Whew. That's a big one. So how'd you find time to do all that, Sam?
1: <laughs> well, I, I, think I think it's one that. of those things where somebody told me heading into the pandemic, and thanks mm-hmm. for having me, Greg, wouldn't it be a waste of time if we didn't do anything? Right. <laughs> so, no, it's it's through a series of really great friends, great recommendations from those friends, and and just, a, I want to say, a curiosity of well, what is that? And what does that look like? And how can I potentially do something like that? That's what brought me on this journey
0: uh, throughout my business and professional career. Well, it's always about being curious. It starts with focus, goes to curious, and then finding some passions and then coming up with your purpose. And you're definitely a purpose-driven guy. And you know, in the introduction, we were reading your material and it was mentioned that your purpose in life is to have a positive difference on people around you and to use the platform you have to make a positive difference in the world. Obviously, your philanthropic work as well. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and the platform that you you currently have to accomplish your purpose? Because if they go to tipofthespearventures.com, you're going to see his advisory services, his business equity, his blog, and everything else he's got. And he's obviously on uh, our platform because he wants to let our listeners know. Yeah, no, Greg.
1: I I think, you know, tip of the Sphere Ventures is the firm that I founded in 2012 after I led the tech startup. Uh, we, you know, we at the tech startup, it was a pretty much a 24-month type of a rocket ship ride. We had a successful private equity exit at the conclusion. And I said, that's that's what I want to do. I wanna, I'm gonna launch a private equity firm. I uh, now I have a financial background, full disclosure, so it wasn't quite the moonshot, it sounds like. But at Tip of the spear, we very much have two sides of the house. We have a venture side of the house. We also have a consulting side of the house. I come from big consulting like Deloitte, Aon's Change Management Group. Our consulting services, as you mentioned, uh, they surround the topic of business transformation. How is it that we can help accelerate uh, businesses forward? We have a heavy sales biz dev focus therein. On the venture side of the house, We do a number of different things. We do early stage seed funding for entrepreneurs that have a proven track record of a million dollar annual revenue or more. We'll do some business funding consulting work on the venture side of the house, which consists of some customer funding options for those entrepreneurs. And then we also, we're a really good M&A firm. We're kind of latecomers to the party, but we recognize, like everybody, I think, recognizes that. We've got this really great demographic in America, the baby boomers, who are going to be exiting the economy. And we want to make certain that if they don't have a clear line of succession outlined or identified, we want to be that clear line. And we want to take their organizations forward and continue on with the legacy that those baby boomers so rightly deserved over their years of ownership. Um, You mentioned some of the philanthropic work. Back in 2017, as a result of my, I'm an adjunct faculty member. I've taught at the collegiate level since 2008. Uh, I teach over at UNLV, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I teach an exec ed course based off of the book I wrote in 2018 called Leading at the Tip of the Spear the Leader. And that was really an impetus for me to form a 501c3 nonprofit. We call it the Javelin Institute. You'll notice that there's a lot of either spear throwing Javelin chucking, call it whatever you want to, uh, but but we try to th- put it into this category of, you know, we're trying to do something that is really to the benefit of an executive offering to leaders. We really want a portion of our proceeds to benefit a certain population, and the population that we identified are leaders who experience family hardship. Mm-hmm. Family hardship, for me, boils down to a couple of different things like 4Ds, death, disease, divorce, and or drugs. Uh, but we find that leaders who experience those hardships experience a deceleration in their performance and production. And they're just looking for a better way or how to get out of the funk. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to help those types of entrepreneurs and leaders get back on track. So that's a a brief
0: overview. It's good that you're giving back. And, you know, you talked about family offices and working with family offices. And I obviously have worked with some as well. And I understand the challenges that, um, and that's a a particular part around succession. You know, you have millions and millions of dollars being transferred from one generation to the next. Um, You have family disputes, um, situations where, father and son maybe aren't getting along or father and daughter aren't getting along or whatever it might be. Um, when, you, when you address that situation, because there's a lot of psychology involved in that, I, I go to the Family Firm Institute meetings. And, you know, when you go to those meetings, you see psychologists there, you see CPAs mm-hmm. there, you see attorneys there. Um, and obviously, there's a, a non-disclosure policy about when you go to those meetings, what goes on. What, what do you think really sets you apart? Because when these family firm offices, and there will be some people on this podcast that will be listening to this, a couple in particular that I know that are avid fans of the show, what makes uh, Tip of the Spear do what they do more effectively? And what do you do that, um, let's say, your competitors may or may not do?
1: Because they no, certainly
0: I, I, they certainly don't need you for venture funding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, they sure don't. I, um, I think it's
1: one of those things, and I think that you know at, at the heart of it is a strategic partnership relationship. You know, we I've always said that, and it comes from the senior consultant, my senior partner that I worked with for years, who always had the mentality of we want to be known as strategic partners. Vendor is a bad word. We don't want to be known as that. But we want to be known as the group or top of mind, whereby you know leaders who go into a Monday morning meeting come out of it typically with a, oh, no moment, which is, I have more things on the to-do list than I'm ever going to get to. If only I knew somebody that I could offload some of this to-do list to. We want to be top of mind. So that way, we're first call right out of that type of meeting. And and that strategic partner relationship is one that we take very seriously. I also say this much that, you know, I kind of operate and it's instilled, it's part of our culture here at Tip of the Spear, as well as over at the Javelin Institute, that we're just not going to talk theory. We're going to actually get into the trenches. We're going to roll up our sleeves. And most importantly, everything that we do has three categories or three levers, levels to it. We have a strategic overview. We have a tactical. This is the architecture of the blueprint or the playbook that we're going to operate in. And then we've got an actionable. This is exactly what it is we're going to do step-by-step step and let's go to work and let's do it and check in accountability-wise on it. So, so those really, three layers are differentiated. You
0: really help them with the, I'm going to just paraphrase this because Jim Hewling was just on, um, you know, the four disciplines of execution. You come out of a meeting and you're like, Hey, wait, you know, I've, I've got to focus on my wildly important goals and then I have to execute on them and I have to keep a scoreboard and I have to somebody help me do that. So I can appreciate that. That level of uh, coaching slash consulting slash advising is super important um, because when you look in most of these businesses, they'll create way more uh, initiatives than they can actually complete, can complete. Uh, and many of them are kind of nonsensical, so you have to get down to what's the most important. And, you know, you mentioned there's typically two types of business transformation moments for leaders uh, that they now face. Uh, And I think more than ever, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing interviews now, and it seems to be there's a lot of books that have come out. I'm looking at a few on the side of my desk. One is called Rogue Waves, and another one is by two Deloitte, Uh, partners uh, called Provoke. And the reality is, is that we're seeing so many of this uh, futurist predicting the rogue wave. How are you seeing around corners? What are the two types that you talk about and why are those so important to business? And how do you help your clients see around corners to actually predict what might be coming or the rogue wave that could really upset their business? Yeah,
1: I, I think we, we had a conversation yesterday with one of the leaders that we work with, totally overwhelmed, totally underwater, was concerned about you know everything, including their career, they felt like was in extreme jeopardy. And I hate to sound cliche, but it comes down to the business basics. Everybody's looking for the magic pill. Everybody wants to know how can we run the best practice. Uh, But in order to do that, you've got to do the block and the tackle right and the Mm -hmm. basics of business and the basics of operations. And, And so what it comes down to is identifying not only what it is that has to be done, but the prioritization in which those steps need to occur. And then it's a matter of going and executing across those steps. We see it time and again with the leaders that we work with. You know, I am an accountant by training. So you hit on the concept of dashboards just to make certain that you're on time and on target approaching destination. That's a key element. But the thing that we also see, and this is not an advanced play, but maybe it is an advanced play, and that is there seems to be a breakdown in the communication chain from top of the organization to bottom of the organization. The message that originates from the top very rarely gets communicated clearly and concisely to the members at the bottom of the org chart. So those well, are a couple of areas yeah, that, what that we would, focus what on. What
0: would you say, Sam, about you know keeping that passion? Because it's, you know, look, it's if you don't manage your energy as an entrepreneur or somebody and you've got all these players in your organization, it doesn't matter what size it is, but let's just say In upper management, 10, 15, 20 people in a small company and -hmm. bigger companies, you know, many, many more. But the the point is, is that as we've gone through this pandemic, and I'm not going to blame it on the pandemic, but as we've gone through these economic challenges that people have faced, they're also being faced with, how do I continue to inspire, not motivate, Mm -hmm. inspire Uh, keep the passion and align all the players toward a single vision that we want to accomplish. Because if that vision isn't compelling for everybody on the team to want to work after, it becomes very watered down and, and you get, uh, you get real challenges. What do you guys do to help do that?
1: I I think that within each leader's mind, there needs to be a determination of, with their team members is there an unwillingness or is there an unable moment the unable moment that falls back on us as leaders right greg if somebody's not able to perform or conduct a task either we didn't with clarity provide them with direction on what it is that we want them to do and clarify expectations maybe they don't have the training to do it appropriately or maybe they just don't have the resources the technology the equipment those types of things. Any of those unable moments, again, those fall back squarely on the shoulders of the leader. Um, I say there needs to be a determination between the unable, the inability, or the unwillingness, because if you identify somebody as being unwilling, it's one of those situations where you. this is on the leader's shoulders to Reassign or remove that type of an associate,
0: but they have such you know, a hard time extracting them. I mean, I'll use the term consciously incompetent. Um, you know, I see a lot of conscious un- incompetence, um, and because of their I don't want to say it, I don't even use the word faithfulness, mm-hmm. but you know, when you've had somebody who's been with you 10 years and they've out their position has been outgrown. Yeah. Right. And they really can't manage that position because the growth of the business has been more exponential than their mm-hmm. ability to manage. What advice do you have for those kind of people listening in today? Yeah, we
1: see we see different leadership skills or muscles needing to be flexed at different revenue achievement levels. Mm-hmm. And there's certain plateaus, right? There's a million dollar plateau. We see leaders needing to have different muscles flexing then. At 10 million, it's a different set of muscles. A lot of what needed to be flexed at the million, but a whole host of additional ones. So on, so forth. We see these different revenue plateaus. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. One of one of my favorite leaders, I had a conversation with him. I asked one of my favorite questions, which is, "What are what's one thing about your leadership style that you would change? <laughs> and his response to me was, you know, I probably believe too much. I believe in the good of my associates and that they're going to go out each and every day and they're going to do good work. It's that belief system that holds me back because I know this unwilling, unable moment. We had that conversation as well. He said, I know I need to get rid of folks. He said, but if I'm wrong for holding on to a person for too long, I'll I'll take that. I can sleep better at night. I know that before I remove them or allow them the opportunity to go be successful somewhere else, that I tried everything that I could to prop that person up and to make them a better employee. I also know this much, and this is kind of my philosophy as well. I adopted it from him, that every person that comes to work here, whether they stay for a couple of weeks or if they stay for a couple of decades, each person is going to leave a better individual because they've had exposure and experiences with me. And it's a a good philosophy. Yeah. It's, it's a great mentality to have.
0: So, you know, what we see more and more, uh, especially in the age in which we've entered into with high tech um, arena uh, is the entrepreneur. Um, If you would And and this isn't about hiring practices, per se. We know that the talent search that's going on out there is massive right now and that there's Mm -hmm. a lack of talent uh, in every area. I mean, it goes all the way down to companies I'm advising that are doing landscape maintenance right, with hundreds of employees, all the way up to companies uh, like Adobe and Google and wherever, who my son, who's an executive at Adobe, constantly uh, putting out messages, do you know anybody who kind of thing, because we're looking, right? Right. And so where do you believe or what advice might you give somebody who's You know, looking at their org chart saying, man, I got 10 positions to fill and I really need to fill these with with great people, but those people don't exist in my organization, right? I'm not moving them from within. (laughs) I'm getting them from outside. Yeah, certainly,
1: you know, and at certain levels in an organization, promote from within is always the best policy. Uh, So we see that time and again being something that organizations typically don't do really well. I mean, you know, One of the organizations that we worked with, I asked, what is your promotion policy? And one of the leaders quipped back, screw up, move up. (laughs) In other (laughs) words, if you screw up, that tends to be the thing that gets you recognition. And while in most organizations, it might be recognized negatively, in our organization, it's recognized positively. We're going to give you a promotion. Um, it, it, it was one of those things where it took a hot second to be able to sit back and go, okay, if that's the culture that we're attempting to get our arms around here, how do we harness that? Uh, they, by the way, you talked about entrepreneurs, they ended up creating one of the better innovation labs of all the organizations that we worked with, primarily because they had people who were without fault or fear able to go out, put themselves in tremendously uncomfortable positions and see what happens. Not that it was a big spaghetti throwing at a wall contest, yeah. but they they, they just didn't have that culture that led them to perceive that, you know, if I make a mistake, I'm going to be, I'm out of here on the next train. It wasn't that way at this organization at all.
0: Well, uh, Rusty Gilliard was on about his book called Breaking the Code. Now, Rusty's a mm-hmm. pretty unusual guy, always top of his class, the A student. And most of these organizations are looking for the A students. They're looking for the magna cum laude guys. They're looking for those kind of people. Rusty was the worldwide finance director for Apple for many, many years and went in and said, hey, I'm basically – not going to do that anymore. And when he got demoted, because they wanted to put him up, he says, you're taking up too much of my time. And I'm taking it away from my family. And as it ended out, he ended up divorcing his wife and all kinds of other things happened in the process. But he became a transformational coach. Now, what I found very interesting, a worldwide finance director for Apple Computer worked Mm -hmm. his way up all the way through those ranks to get to that level, tells him, nope, no more promotion because now you want me to work at night and be contact people in China and be all over the place and I'm never going to be at home. How do you help people find that balance, Sam? What is the, the magic elixir where somebody like that who they lost, which was a big loss, uh, basically says sayonara, uh, What are you telling people about uh, balancing their life and the companies helping the people balance? Yeah.
1: You know, I think it's one of those situations where when it comes to leadership, uh, leadership is a chair that very rarely gets sit empty for any length of time. In other words, there's always willing to someone to come and want to sit into it. Not that leadership is a game of musical chairs either, but it's relatively easy to find folks who want to escalate in their career. Uh, They might not be the best choice, but typically we find in organizations, there's not a difficult moment to try to have people scale up to that leadership chair. What's, What's interesting, though, in the story that you talked about, we ran into this with one of our client organizations as well, where they had a senior sales leader. The gentleman was, you know, he was promoted to the position. He was good with working with other people, but he was fantastic at selling. And the vacuum that he left when he got was promoted, there, there was no backfill for. I mean, they needed to have at least five people do what this one individual did before. The leader who was promoted also, he was miserable. <laughs> While he loved selling, he hated selling people to sell, if that was the way he put it. You know, he needed the the coaching and the just the the labor involved with being a leader, he didn't enjoy. And it was one of those things where it takes a a really special leader to recognize within their organization when they do promote people that if it's not working for those folks, you've got to allow them the opportunity to graciously go back and perform at the level that they were at before. It's not one of those things from a leadership escalation Trying to get people into a leadership role and then once you're there, you've got to prove yourself all you know all at that level. You know, and I, I like you what you said,
0: but what time. I like what you said, but what Rusty told me is he did go back and it was a dead end job. Now, while that was the case, you know, you, reality is look, you're promoted, you're worldwide finance director, you have all these other commitments, but by the way, it's too much of a demand on my personal life. I want to go back to where I was. I go back to where I am. And you realize, I can't imagine myself walking in this door every day doing the same thing that I was doing, and there's got to be something more to life. So you quit, and you leave an empty void in a leadership position, and you go become a transformational coach, which many of the people at Apple said to him, hey, we're really interested. Half of them, he said, thought he was absolutely crazy to give up such a prestigious job, Um, you know. The reality is, is that we have this trajectory in life, and I want you to go through this because you enumerated strategy, execution, cash flow, and people as four dimensions of business transformation, mm-hmm. excellence and leadership, underperformance in any of these uh, dimensions could be problematic. We we're just talking about it, underperformance in any of them. What Correct. recommendations do you have to avoid that underperformance in any of those uh, Areas.
1: Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think it's a combination play of a multiple different processes and procedures coming together, and people pulling talents. For most of the organizations that we work with, you know, what it really comes down to is their ability to find those business transformation moments, the things that they're doing well, and to scale those up even more rapidly. What we found is that, and you hit on the people element. You know, we had an organization who would tell us to our face, people are our most important asset. And that's a cliche. And that's something that they probably read somewhere, or maybe they went to one of those great consulting groups that helped them create that type of a mission, vision, value statement and how it is that they should operate. Right. But what we typically find is that there's not a great impetus put if they say that within the people space, for example either from a hiring perspective up front within the people entree path into the organization. Maybe they're looking and excluding out some really quality folks. You were talking about A-plus talent. Every organization wants A-plus talent. I'm not saying that you need to scale back to C talent, but there's probably some people who maybe they don't test well. Maybe they, instead of going to the best universities, have some great experiences, or maybe yet, get this, they have the desire. It's the college graduate experience time and again, where they can't get the job because they don't have the experience, but they can't get the experience because they don't have the job. It's a dog chase tail, tail chase dog moment, right? The other thing though, is that once you have those people assets onboarded into the organization, Mm-hmm. And we could talk for hours about the onboarding and what's right. effective versus ineffective. Right. Right. It's how do you keep them and how do you get them to really perform at peak performance levels? We typically, and through, through any number of different assessments that we might work with, with the organization, we find that potential can be really high. But where performance is, is usually subservient to that potential level. It's how do you close that gap in between potential and performance? That's where we
0: spend a lot of time with the leaders that we work with. That's really, that's very good. And it's a good point that you make is closing the gap. Uh, And I think there are many gaps. Um, You know, you presented a three-stage slash step approach to business transformation that can lead to success. Can you share those steps with the audience and maybe... Uh, elaborate on that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, sure do. And I know we'll put it in the show notes because this business transformation approach, we have a one-page overview on it. For us, it comes down to you've got to be able to see, you've then got to be able to do, and then you've got to ensure that what you're seeing and doing is delivering the results you want. So see, do, deliver. Those are our three steps to business transformation. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Now, so as a leader, transformative communication, we just talked about the breakdown in communication. Mm-hmm. And we see this happening all over. When communication breaks down, it costs companies lots of money. Uh, and you were talking about human capital. And it also uh, really messes with the performance level of people. Uh, it, meaning, you know, if you're looking for, for, for performance here, it's usually way down here when we have bad communication. Um, communication is probably the most powerful tool. Um, I just had Marianne O'Brien on called the Elevated Communicator, uh, a Simon and Schuster book. Great, great book. Um, can you help tell us what kind of strategies you would implement to help people become better listeners, and better communicators within the organization. Yeah, you know, I I look at communication as one of those
1: projects that it probably is the most often overlooked portion of any project. In other words, we'll spend hours in a ward room, writing on every whiteboard and even non-whiteboard in sight, regarding what the process and the procedure should look like. We have, at times, helped clients put together what were artful. I mean, they were almost Shakespearean action plans. What it was we were going to do, who was going to do them by when, the the ultimate action plans. But the thing that most organizations don't spend a lot of time is figuring out what's our communication channel going to be. It's one of Cotter's original eight steps in his change management group uh, from Harvard. And the communication channel should be looked at just like a process or procedure should be looked at. The tip, though, is that just because you come out with what the communication plan should be, it also means that you've got to build some variability into it. So in other words, some contingency plans. If you can future forecast what it is that is going to be said, and most importantly, how it's going to be heard, and then provide almost a series of frequently asked questions in advance of that'll build out your contingencies. Those are the key steps to having effective
0: communication and organization. Yeah, everybody in communication, Sam, usually is looking at the now. Uh, you know, it's it's what happened immediately. Now, let's address it because pants are on fire, Uh, because now we have to come up with a solution for it. Um yeah. And you see this happen time and time again. I love the fact that you looked into the future and look for the contingencies. That's really important. Now, I mentioned this once before, and I won't mention any more than this, because, you know, COVID-19, Delta variant, whatever you want. We've obviously had lots of changes. Um, and I just had April Rennie on here for her book called Flux, The Eight Superpowers to Thrive, Doing uh, Constant Change. Mm-hmm. There can't be a time where we've seen more change than what we've seen it, it, you and I in my lifetime. I'm 67 uh, to actually see, you know, huge changes in business what tips can you share with the leaders uh to get started on business transformation and i'm not even going to say in a post pandemic situation here because yeah. none of us really knows where this is all going but the reality is it's starting to look a lot better let's just say that yep i think there's the
1: great lenin quote not john lenin but lenin from uh, yeah. the marxist Russian lenin <laughs> yeah correct who said uh there are decades where nothing occurs and weeks where decades occurs, something to that effect. Yeah. Right? And that's really what the pandemic has caused. I mean, there, there's a massive acceleration and what it is and how it is that people behaved. You know, for, for us, we tend to break down business transformation along six different variables. We talked about people. They're one of those variables. There's another one, though, that has to do with owning the change. Yesterday, we did a workshop with a client, and one of the things that we worked on was how is it that they can put together their best strategies for moving forward? And the concept that I'll share with you and with your listeners, Greg, is termed future foresight. We know that hindsight is perfect 2020 clarity, and what if you could, as a leader, have that same type of 2020 vision, not looking back forward. forward, but instead looking forward. Right. Correct. And that's the challenge that we put out there, and that's what the organization is looking for leaders to do. It's one of the keys to creating successful business transformation. You know, we talked a lot about communication today, and describing where it is that you want to go. It's not necessarily selling the dream as much as it is sharing the dream and the vision that the leader has. But it is one of those things where that type of future foresight, that 2020 clarity of vision, and to be able to communicate effectively with where it is that you're going, that's another one of the keys that we've found in helping businesses transform for the better.
0: Well, and, I, and I'm and i going to use this analogy again, because I'm looking at the book, but you know, the reality is this rogue wave, they come up and you can either ride the top of it or your ship can sink. Right? and the reality is identifying the factors that could have an effect, whether it's digital technology or it's a transformation in this area or it's something that's going to actually impact your business. Now, your you know, tip of the spear is all about transforming businesses, which means addressing a wide variety of topics and a lot of them very challenging to to put your hands around. Mm-hmm. You know, people are listening to this podcast and they're going, wow, these guys have talked about a lot. Um, if you're going to leave our listeners with two points um, as from a consultant standpoint, and they're business owners or they're, or they're entrepreneurs, and I don't care what size business it is because most of the advice you give can apply to almost any size business of a listener out there today. What would you say from all the books you've written all the courses you've taught, all the philanthropy work you've done, given the current state of the economy and the pandemic is getting better and where we're all heading, what advice would you have for the person right now sitting there going, wow, this has been a great podcast. I learned a lot. But what can I apply today? What can I take away that Sam can tell me that I could actually take some action, you know." Action is a sign of intelligence, right? <laughs> right.
1: No, I'll go back to I'll go back to some of the work that we did when I was uh, with Toyota Lexus. We did some work with Marcus Buckingham of the Gallup Group. Yep. This was right around the time that Marcus was, was launching the Strength Finder assessment. Yeah, and and Marcus had something very interesting to say about strengths versus weaknesses, because we always perceive that you know if you try, try, try you'll You'll be able to eventually do, 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 and you'll win, win-win. Uh, Marcus's perception was that <laughs> you should focus solely on your strengths. If you do, your weaknesses become irrelevant. In other words, the little train that could shouldn't. It should stay in the depot, and if trains, what trains do best is they haul heavy loads. That should be left up to real big trains, real big engines, right? Not little trains that could. So, focus on your strengths. Your weaknesses will become irrelevant. That's the number one thing that I would say. The second point though, Greg, is that you've got to figure out a way to measure, manage, and hold yourself accountable. For the people that are disciplined out there, and I'm super fortunate. I have worked with a lot of uh, U.S. Navy SEALs, and I've worked with some special forces, Green Berets in the Army. These are some of the best disciplined people on the planet, but even they need help from an external source to help keep them on track so they achieve on-target, on-time results. This dashboard or the metrics or the KPIs, not only identifying the criteria that you're going to hold yourself accountable to achieving, but having a third party, an external force, somebody that's not in between the six inches that make up your mind, hold you accountable towards achieving those, that's where the magic tends to really take root. So those are the two points that I would say. Focus on your strengths. Also, identify those key metrics have somebody help hold you accountable toward achieving them.
0: And again, that comes back down to Goals and proximal goals, Uh, because the way you get there is by the small steps to achieve the bigger goal. I don't care if you're an Olympic athlete or what you are, you have to focus your time on what's important. Uh, And I think focusing out all the other bombardment of stuff that comes at us is probably the most challenging. Um, You know, whether it's BJ Fog with tiny habits, a new habit you're going to do or James Clear with Atomic Habits or whatever it might be the reality is it's about changing a process in your life that will transform you and to get you to that area of what you really want and then the key is knowing what the hell it is you really want i think a lot of us go through life not really knowing and you know that in itself finding a purpose and saying hey this is my life purpose Right. It's not just my purpose today. This is something that I want to do the rest of my life. Um, a lot of people never get there in their whole lifetime. Um, but you bring up some very important points. Yeah. And for my listeners, you know, uh, you need to go to the tip of the spear uh and, and you need to check out his website. There's some great blog entries there. You can learn about his advisory services. And I'm gonna encourage you, because we're gonna put a link, this free 2021 report. Uh, plus the 37-page uh, um, assessment. Uh, we'll have links to both of those, but this is a good way to get with them. And then reach out. Uh, hit the contact button. Uh, reach out to Sam. He's there for you. Uh, no matter what size business you are, I'm sure he's the kind of guy that will be willing to take your call. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks for having me. My
1: mother, My mother told me one time that one of my cousins was having a difficult time reaching me. And I said, Mom, I don't know how that can be. I just had a conversation with a gentleman who was internationally, he was overseas in Australia, and he found my phone number on our website. Yeah. (laughs) And if you can't find it, I I, there's probably an issue. I said, so I'm not so certain how hard our cousin tried to get a hold of Sam, but I know that I'm a pretty public person. So yeah, if I can and I also operate from one of those mentalities, which you do, I know as well, Greg, and I love it. It's the if I can help, I will. If I can't, I probably know someone who can.
0: So I'm a helper and a giver by nature. So Um, please outreach and connect. Well, thank you, Sam. Uh, Namaste to you. Thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your business expertise and knowledge, as well as the transference of that so people can actually talk with you, set up a time for a consult, and uh, get together with you. Thanks so much. No, thank you, Greg.